Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined, as always, by Stone Hansen and Ryan Davis. Stone, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. I'm um, running on pure draft adrenaline right now. I don't have much sleep behind me, and I have a long recording day of podcasts ahead of me. But uh, right now, I'm just running on that adrenaline, and I'm excited to talk about these guys. Davis? Um, I'm just staying inside because it's like super hot down here. Uh, so yeah, I can't even like step foot outside right now. So I'm just enjoying chilling, watching TV, playing PS5. And uh, of course doing this podcast. So I always forget to have PS5. It makes me so jealous. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, Stone had a bit of a breakdown on Twitter last night, uh, worrying about whether or not he should add archetypes and the specific the specificity of archetypes uh, on his big board. Um, that was uh, it was pretty funny to watch. So uh, he's uh, he's definitely running on fumes. He was up all night like um, like a beautiful mind, um, you know, trying to get all that done. never stops. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the grind. The grind is real. Uh, we are uh, about a month and a half from the draft itself. Uh, so we're definitely, you know, in, in this in the final stretches of the 2021 draft cycle. Um, and something that we always do, I feel like at the at the end of stretches like that is talk about just a, a giant assortment of fringe bigs. Um they're not all fringe. Uh, I, we're going to hit on Isaiah Jackson today, who is who is almost certainly a first-round prospect. Um, but the rest of the guys we're going to talk about are all sort of, you know, 50 to 100 on, on most boards, I feel like. Uh, but but some interesting guys here. Um, it, we, we're going to hit on quite a few guys. So, so we left a few out that we don't really view as, as, as prospects in this range, guys like Philip Petrusev and Kobe Coburn and uh, – a few others, but we're going to hit on, on a pretty, a pretty wide assortment of bigs, uh, go through some pretty quickly, go pretty in depth on some. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the goal for today. Um, we're going to start with Isaiah Jackson, uh, Davis, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on Isaiah Jackson, uh, freshman out of Kentucky? Um, so, I mean, with Isaiah Jackson, obviously the, the talk is about his defense mainly, um, which I do like a lot. Uh, he, he's really athletic. He has a long wingspan. Um, I think he averaged like 2.6 blocks um, as a freshman at Kentucky. So that's that's pretty pretty solid already. Um, he, he's pretty quick for his size. He, he's a productive on ball, and, and he's pretty good at, at helping on defense as well. Uh, so just his overall defensive game is, is, is really good. There's not much to improve on that end. Um, but the main thing I question with him is just his offense. I, I don't like really see anything he can rely on offensively. Like even his post game is, is like iffy for, for a big man. Um, he only averaged about like eight points on a struggling Kentucky team last year. So, I mean, I, I just don't see the scoring right now, which is why I'm a little bit lower on him than than most. Um, 
I definitely see the, the defense translating and, you know, the shot blocking and the, you know, the switch potential. Um, he's also really young and like just turned 19, but I, I just don't see um, off any like offensive game right now or really ever like coming. I, I mean, he might, he might get like, you know, a little, a little better um, like a mid range or, um, something like that, but I just don't, I just don't see much offensive game. Um, he did shoot like 70% from free throw. So I guess that's, that could be a, a good sign for a shot to, to come and be more consistent. But, um, I think he's, he's probably like, I, like in my thirties right now. So it's like a, a fringe first round, uh, early second round guy for me, but um, the potential is definitely there. I just, I just really question the offensive side of the of the ball for him. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, with Jackson, I don't think he's. I mean, there's only maybe a couple bigs in this class you can um, kind of count on, or at least project uh, to be able to um, create their own shot. And I don't think Isaiah Jackson is is really one of them at this point. Um, but like Davis was saying, defensively. Uh, I mean, we talk about like, I think I brought this up before already with Greg Brown and his, his rebounding, but um, I, I keep going back to the Kispert analogy where he's so good at what he does as a shooter. He understands all the little nuances and, and things that go into it. Uh, and I think that's where Jackson kind of falls uh, as a shot blocker, um, where he's he's so smart, like he leaves the ground he times it perfectly. Like he leaves the ground exactly as the shooter comes off the ground. A lot of times um, he, he just knows how to extend really well. And that kind of goes on both sides of the ball. I think too, he's able to extend, um, stay, extend himself for lobs uh, and pick and rolls and transition. Um, but outside of that, that's kind of the only thing I think offensively uh, where he's able to score reliably. Um, I don't think he's able to like Davis had kind of, uh, post up or anything and the shooting is uh, I'm not a fan of it I know some people buy it but I don't really see it um, I think offensively as well the passing is somewhat interesting um, where he's uh, we talked about Isaiah Todd last episode and I think Jackson sort of falls into that where he's a good enough passer he's not going to make any complex reads or anything um, I think some of his passes are maybe a little more advanced than Todd at this point where he's able to, um, a lot of it's out from the post out to the perimeter. And I think Jackson can, can make those reads before they happen a little bit faster than Todd. Um, but he's able to see the defenses shifting and, and pass it out to the perimeter uh, for some quick threes or whatever. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, and then the other thing too is defensively, I don't think he's someone that is going to be able to go out onto the perimeter. And I don't think is going to be hunted very much. Uh, like you see with some bigs, I don't think a whole lot of guys are going to just um, pick out Jackson out of whoever's on the floor and try to um, get around him on the perimeter, because I think he can stick with a lot of guys. Um, he has pretty good lateral movement for his size. And I think um, he, he's uh, just really smart defensively um the only thing the only concern I do have um is that he shot blocks a little too much I think at times uh where he overbites on pump fakes or he'll um 
leave the ground too early. And I think he gets a little too overexcited, uh, just a little more discipline in the area might be needed. But um, overall, I think it's a, it's pretty easy to see how the shot blocking and the defense, defense translate at the next level. It's just a matter of seeing what else uh, he can bring, especially on the offensive side of things. Yeah, so for me, um, Isaiah Jackson uh, sort of represents my, and this group as a whole actually, sort of represent one of my weaknesses, I feel like, as a scout. And that's that I'm not, I'm not like super, I'm not great at like determining what the subtle differences between great rim protectors, solid rim protectors, and and like below average rim protectors are. Um, you know, someone like Anemius Cata versus Isaiah Jackson or um, other guys we'll talk about later. Like, it's hard for me to really determine the subtle, the subtle nuances that are going to separate them as players. Um, so, so I really tried to, to understand what that, what that might be um, while, while doing this scouting for this episode. Um, what I like about Isaiah Jackson is that he is, not only is he very vertically explosive, but he can get up two, three times really quickly. Um, he can he can kind of do a power load for that first jump, um, either block a shot or really contest it, and then quickly land on his toes and get right back up for a rebound. Um, stuff like that is really helpful for shot blockers um, because it, it, as good as you can be defensively, if you block a shot it, or, or contest a shot, it misses. If the other team gets a rebound, that only meant so much. Um, so the fact that you can contest shots and get the rebound, um, I think he has a similar issue as Isaiah Todd, um, who we talked about in the last episode, um, where his footwork on the perimeter can be a little questionable. Um, I think he has the lateral mobility uh, to move on the perimeter, and he can sort of let guys go by and chase, uh, get some chase down blocks, but he can sort of kind of step over his feet or, or try and bait by uh, dropping a hip and then get crossed. I just think he's, he, he, his footwork out on the perimeter is not great yet. Um, but there's stuff to like there. Uh, defense, you know, defensively is where he's going to make his bones. Um, I have some worries about the stature. He's still really skinny. And he's only about 6'10". Um, and, and I think that also translates to the offensive end, where I worry he's not quite big enough to be like, like a role threat um, at the, in the NBA. And if, and if he's not a role threat, the shot is sort of iffy. I really worry he can be sort of a man without a country on offense. So, uh, Stone, I'll throw it back to you. What, how do you see Isaiah Jackson offensively? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we pretty much hit on it where a lot of it, at least early, he's a rim runner. So I think the majority, the vast majority of his points that he's going to get is just going to be off of putbacks, uh, tip-ins, things like that. I don't, I don't really see how many plays are going to really be called for him. Um, yeah, I mean, he can, I think he's a good enough leaper to where he is a lob threat um, in the pick and roll at times uh, in transition but outside of easy baskets I'm not really sure how he's able to score um, he can't get his own shot 
which for bigs is understandable. Not not too many can. Um, but yeah, he can't space the floor really at this point. I mean, there's a couple glimpses here and there throughout the season where he was able to stretch it into mid-range. Uh, even, uh, I think he made one or two from three this year as well. Um, but they're just so far and few between that it's really hard to buy it at this point. Um, a lot of his misses are kind of clunky off the back of the rim and, and things like that. So it's it's difficult for me to bank on his shot improving at this point. Um, so it, it is difficult to see like what he does offensively outside of just sort of easy baskets uh, around the rim. Yeah, I, I, I think that's where I where I fall into. Um, but I worry he's not a good enough screener uh, to really be trusted as that lobster on the pick and roll. So I think I think he has a solid chance to sort of be relegated to kind of standing in the dunker spot. Um, and hopefully there's sort of a like a, a thicker um, pick and pop four that could play next to him. Um, but the, they're actually speaking of four, there actually is some uh, some 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 thought that he's maybe better suited to be a four um, and sort of play kind of that nail type of defense similar to a uh, Jaden McDaniels or or a Robert Covington. Um, I, and I think there's moments where that could work, but I just it, it's hard to be a four with 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 almost zero offensive game. Um, and and I just yeah. I think the shot is farther away than some people do. Um, he just looks really stiff and uncomfortable. Um, and, and it's hard for me. It's hard for me to see him ever being anything more than like an average shooter from the corners and a, and a pretty below average shooter from above the break. Um, so, uh, yeah. Do you, do you guys want to give me sort of your final thoughts on Jackson and, uh, and where you have him? Davis, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I mean, that's how I, exactly how I feel on the offensive side of things. Um, I mean, maybe if he gets a little a little bigger, um, his frame-wise, it, it might improve his inside his inside game a little more. But uh, I, I don't I don't think his his offensive game will ever really like come over. He'll he'll just always be a rim runner and a a really good defender. But um, I mean, a a really good defender is one that's able to switch and and uh, stuff like that is pretty pretty valuable still so I do have them in like my 30s but I'm pretty sure a team would take them in the first round uh, just do based off potential and and just he's, he's only 19 like I said so uh, it, there's something there it's just it's just hard to buy for me at this point just due to the lack of offensive game yeah, yeah. um the, yeah, it, he has one of the most translatable skills, I would say, in this draft where, I, I don't know, I mean, the shot blocking and the rim protection, I think, is pretty close to elite at this point. Um, so I can, it, it's one of the most easy ones to project, I think, in this class. It's just a matter of, um, it's almost like the Cam Thomas effect, like what else does he bring apart from that one elite skill and how do you, how much is that worth? Um, so that's sort of where I lie with him. Um, the rebounding is good, I think, because of that second jump, like you mentioned, and things like that. There, there's a little bit other he can, other things he can do. Um, 
stick on the perimeter defensively, but yeah, offensively, it's difficult to see what sort of value he brings. Um, but so I, I have him towards the latter end of my first round in that 25 to 30 sort of range. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, where do you land on him, Bryce? Yeah, see, for me, I have him like somewhat solidly outside of the first round at this point. I just, um, I, I really don't know how to value just sort of, I kind of see him as a rim running big. Um, and at his height, uh, I, I worry about the offensive efficacy. And uh, there's definitely some upside there. And, and I agree, he does have a really translatable skill set as a shop walker. Um, but it's just not something I really value. And a test I, I like to do for some guys is like, does this guy's 60, 70 percentile outcome, like, do I really regret missing on that if I have him too low? And for me, not really, not compared to some of the the wings in this draft I really love. Um, those are the guys where I'm like, if I if I miss on those guys and they and they hit, that, that's that's gonna be someone I really wish I would have taken. Um with that being said, are we ready to move on to uh, North Carolina product, Dayron Sharp? Yep, sounds good. Yep, sounds good. So uh, Dayron is is like a 6'10", uh, big, played in North Carolina, um, played in the, the famous North Carolina two-big system with a lot of high-low action. Um, and his, his main draw is that as a big, he's really smart. Um, show some flashes of, of sort of mobility and uh, a lot of solid passing flashes. Um, so Stone, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the kid out of North Carolina? Yeah. Um, Sharp's, Sharp is interesting. I see, I see the intrigue on why people are pretty in on him. Um, like you mentioned, he has, he seems to have a fairly high IQ uh, at least in certain aspects, um, one of those being on the perimeter as a big. Um, he's he's smart positionally on where he places himself on the perimeter um, to make up for the fact that he is absolutely too slow in a lot of matchups um, to stick on the perimeter. So that that's where I kind of have trouble. I think is is factoring. Um, how how much of a factor is the positioning on the perimeter versus how much um, of a factor is his lack of foot speed? So I think um, they may neutralize each other out, but that's uh, TBD at this point. Um, he's a really strong passer for his size as well. Uh, a guy who you can see, like most of his passes. Um, what's interesting is come from like around the perimeter or the top of the key where. Um, whereas we mentioned like Isaiah Todd or, or Isaiah Jackson, who, uh, tend to pass from the post outward, um, Sharp can do both. He can, he can pass, uh, a lot of times that actually from the perimeter where he sees defenses moving, he sees plays happening, um, and he's able to catch cutters and things like that from the top of the key, uh, which is impressive vision for his size. Um, not a lot of guys, his size make those sort of reads. Um, but, but Sharp has that capability. Um, as a rim protector, he just seemed kind of average to me. Uh, nothing, you know, too impressive. Uh, but I think 
he'll be able to sort of hold his own and contest shots, um, get at least protect the rim um, a good amount of the time. I'm not really sure, you know, if he's sort of the elite jumper that maybe Jackson is or anything like that. Uh, but I think he can be an okay rim protector. Um, he's a really, really good rebounder too. Uh, he establishes position really well for um, for a big, well, all bigs are supposed to, I guess, but uh, he does it exceptionally well. Um, he utilizes his size well to do that. Um, and he tracks the ball always, uh, no matter where it comes off the rim, he's always tracking it. Um, so as a rebounder, I think he's gonna be really high level in that area. Um, the question I have for you guys, well, two questions, I guess. Uh, I'll start with one, and then after you answer, I guess I'll get to the other one. Uh, but one of the questions was, how, how functional do you see his passing if he can't dribble and if he can't shoot? Because at this point, the shooting is, uh, I would say, even sketchier than Isaiah Jackson at this point. Like, I don't have a whole lot of optimism for it. Um, I was really low on Isaiah Stewart last year, which was sort of a mistake. But even then, I think I was higher on Isaiah Stewart as a shooter than I am De'Ron Sharp, uh, which obviously pre-draft was not as noticeable as, as Stewart shooting now. Um, but I guess, where do you see his passing if he's not able to space the floor and if he's not um, able to dribble at all? Because his handle is terrible at this point. Um, so for me, I, uh, I don't really buy the passing. Um, I think it's pretty, it's, it's pretty far away from, from ever being functional. Um, and even if it is, is functional, I think it's going to be more in sort of small doses. Um, NBA offenses don't look like North Carolina. Um, it's just true. It has been for, uh, 20 years at this point. Um, he, a lot of his passes were these sort of high-low actions or him kind of – he would kind of pivot at the elbow and the whole play would sort of run around him. And that's just not something I see happening. I don't see him getting those high post touches. Um, the place it could be most functional would be in the short roll. But even in the short roll, generally that requires you to be moving and that oftentimes requires a dribble or two or – or, or some downhill athleticism in a, that he doesn't really have. Um, so I see I see the passing as, as pretty, I don't want to say fluky because it is a real skill, but I don't think it's something that's going to add any value in the NBA. Uh, I don't think it's going to grease the wheels of an NBA offense. Yeah, um, I basically agree. I, I mean, like his – his passing ability is is good. Like in college, it, it was really good for his size. But um, yeah, he can dribble, he can't shoot. So the only way it's effective is kind of it. He's just like a set passer, or his back to the basket, or he's in the post up. But um, I don't really see him getting those opportunities in the NBA. So um, I don't really think he'll he'll be able to show. The, the passing ability as much as he was able to at North Carolina. Um, but, I mean, he, he is really smart with with his passes and just smart in general as a player. But, um, yeah, if, with no shot and no handle in the NBA, it's 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 going to be hard to really uh, 
show the the passing ability and and passing potential. Yeah, that's sort of my concern is if he can't shoot, teams are just going to sag off of him, right? And and sort of mitigate those uh, passing outlets that he's capable of making. But I'm just not sure how often he'll be able to make them if if those um, outlets are sort of covered since he can't really space the floor at this point. Um, my other question for you, uh, and this sort of goes back to Isaiah Stewart too, um, is both, they both share like, or at least pre-draft, one of the big things a lot of people kept mentioning was um, how strong of a motor they have. Um, they're both, you know, really like, they play really hard. They have, um, they always fight for rebounds and things like that. How, what kind of value do you place on motor? Um, that's something usually we hear synonymous with big men mostly like it's not something we often hear for guards and wings uh, but with big men it seems to come up quite a bit more um is that something you really have any place any sort of value on uh if so how much um so I, i'll start with you davis what do you what do you think about that um i mean it's kind of tricky uh, i don't really look into it that much um i mean i i I kind of just look at as long as you don't like give up on plays or, you know, have like lapses, um, stuff like that. But I mean, showing effort and, you know, showing like a high motor, always battling. Um, it, it's, it's good to see, but I don't, I don't really value it so much as, as a, a prospect standpoint, uh, maybe from like a coaching standpoint, I would probably like it and, and, like it a little more, but um, it, it's obviously good for a player to have to have a high motor, especially a big, um, just because they're supposed to be the powerful, you know, the the ones that are supposed to bang down low, and you always want them to do that. Um, so I, I I guess it plays a bigger part in a big man than than it would in like a guard, but um, I don't I don't think there's too much too much into it as far as look when you look into a prospect. Yeah, and for me, so I don't want to, like, I don't want to hate on Isaiah Stewart, right? Like, I, I was very, I I was very low on him coming into the draft. Um, thought he was a pretty awful pick at 16. And he had a good rookie season. And that motor uh, is the biggest reason for that. Uh, I've heard that he's an excellent guy uh, off the court as well. Um, but after just one season, I still don't know what value he really provides to, to really good teams. And I think motor is always an additive thing, not a, not, not like a, a, a piece. It's like a piece of a puzzle for an almost completed puzzle, not, you know, like the ignition fluid of an engine, right? Like it's just, it, it's not something that, that is going to drive a, player's value is just it's really nice to have on top of other things like I'll talk about like like someone whose motor I really love in this crap in this class is a uh, Roka Perkachin and he has an awesome motor but he also has a pretty solid handle really excellent feel for space um and solid athleticism uh Dayron doesn't really have that I think I think the motor will help Dayron, uh, especially if 
because I see him and I see this for Isaiah Stewart as guys who are sort of at, at their, their peak going to be hoping to be just really good bench centers, like the best sort of bench centers in the league. Um, that, that's kind of their peak, I feel like. Um, and, sh- and, and motor helps a lot there. Um, it does. Motor means a lot to sort of get some energy off the bench, put someone out there who's just going to try really hard. Um, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, but I don't think it's something like I put a ton of stock into uh, outside of all the other skills a player would possess. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. I think it's, I just wanted to ask your guys' opinion mostly because I was just genuinely curious. Um, I, it's just a, something I see that gets thrown around quite a bit with bigs. Um, but I agree. It's not really something that plays up. It's not going to make or break a prospect really for me. Uh, the only time I would say it's really concerning to me is when there's a lack of it, like a, a very significant lack of it. Um, like I, I don't mean to pick on him, but some, like I mentioned with Cam Thomas, how he sort of gives up on plays once he gets beat defensively. Um, that's sort of the only time it's a little bit of a concern for me, but uh, other than that, it's not something I, I put too much of a, um, a factor into my evaluation. Yeah, I would agree. Um, let's let's do it again. Um, I'll throw it to you guys like a final final shot, final thoughts on Sharp, um, and uh, where where you have him on your board. Um, so for me, I I get the intrigue with Sharp. Like I said, there's there's aspects to a game to his game that I like. It's just a matter of do those aspects translate like we mentioned at the passing we mentioned with the um the iq on the perimeter like there's things about his game to like but it's just there's other things that he can't do on the court that it's it sort of mitigates some of those skills i think um so right now i have him like around 50 on my board um i, I think he's a draftable player still someone i would probably take later in the second round um but it's there's, yeah, the, the skills he brings are a lot of it is kind of just classic big man stuff. Um, and the things that he brings outside of that are skills that I'm not or I'm fully convinced will translate at the next level. Yeah, David? Yeah, definitely. So I, I have him at about uh, 45. So uh, around the same range Stone has him in. Um, Kind of, I kind of feel the same way. He's just a, he's really smart, and he's a, he was a good passer, like we were talking about. But um, I don't see that translating much. Um, and can't shoot, can't dribble, so uh, there's just a lot of questions about him. Um, but yeah, I, I I would still draft him just in the second round, or like a team like Brooklyn or something like that would would be good. But uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not as high as I I've, I've seen him on a lot of boards. Yeah. So for me, I have him uh, outside of my top 60. He's still probably a draftable prospect for me. It's just sort of like if I'm projecting, you know, sort of all the way up to his probably for me, like an 85 percentile outcome for him is still a backup big. Um, I don't, I don't put a lot of value in that. Those are guys you get on minimum contracts. And for me, the draft is all about value. Um, but that's not to hate on him as a player. He, he, he has his moments. 
it's just sort of um it's just sort of where the value lies and, and we're going to hit on that with almost everyone in this group it's that value doesn't lie in centers like that um but speaking of that we're going to move on to a a tandem of centers who are definitely tall um charles bassey <laughs> and nemius Keda. um Two guys, uh, one played at Western Kentucky, one played at Utah State. Uh, teammate of Sam Merrill, who I really liked last year, uh, was Nimi Keda. And uh, they're just, they're sort of kind of these traditional center molds, maybe different types of traditional center molds. Um, but uh, I'll throw Bassey to Stone and uh, Keda to Davis. So uh, whoever, whoever wants to go first, just um, take your guy. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, so Kada, he's he's a, a little he's he's interesting. I mean, he had a a breakout like freshman season. That was kind of when I started hearing about him, and then his sophomore season, it kind of had a little slump. Um, but his his junior season, which was this last one, he he kind of brought it back up. He averaged a double double, and then I think he was like third among all players in, in blocks, like a little over three a game. Uh, so he's a really good rim protector. Um, and I, I do think that translates as well, just like Isaiah Jackson. He's just not as as mobile, I guess, as, as Isaiah Jackson. But um, I did I did see something where he led, like, the NC, NCAA in, in win shares on, on defense. So that's pretty impressive, too. But uh, his his defense is, is going to translate over. It's just another question of of offense. Um, he's kind of just a rim runner. Uh, he, he does have a bigger frame. He is he's bigger than than who we talked about, like Isaiah Jackson. But um, there's still not much to his offensive game. It's just catching lobs, getting putbacks, uh, and his main thing is is defense and and that rim protecting. But uh, I I. If I would draft them, it would be late, late second. Uh, I think I have them just outside 60 right now. But, um, I mean, if a team if a team needs a defensive big, I guess it, I guess it, I wouldn't mind taking them there. But, um, yeah, he, he's he's interesting on, on defense for sure, but I don't see much on offense. Yeah. Um... I'm actually happy that I got Bassey in this scenario because I do like Bassey a, a bit more than Kata. Um, simply for the fact that Bassey shows, I think, more range, or at least he did this season, uh, the ability to sort of pick and pop, um, which I think is interesting because he, I mean, he has decent indicators too. Like his free throw percentage is, has during his um, couple of years at, uh, Western Kentucky it's been like you know mid to high 70s so it's there's he shows indicators of that being real I think um, he shot 31 percent on uh, nearly two attempts a game this season so it's not like great by any means but um, it shows the I think it shows like something that you might want to put resources into trying to develop I think um, there's there's interest there more so than Keda, where Keda can he shows touch I think on especially on like hook shots like six feet from the rim and stuff like that 
Uh, but outside of that, I don't think he really shows the sort of um, shooting prowess that Bassey might, not that it's high level or anything at this point. Um, Bassey has a lot of overlap though, I think with Keita where both of them, I mean, the bread and butter is mostly just as rim runners. Um, they're both pretty high level shot blockers. Um, I like Bassey a bit more because I think he's a quicker twitch athlete. Um, he's able to get off the ground quicker. Um, he uses his verticality very, very well. Um, at this point, he Bassey's like, um, if he's if he's in around the rim, he's pretty much only dunking. Like he's not a guy who's going to put very many post moves on you. He's not polished in that area at all, pretty much. Um, whereas Kada, I think, is a bit more dynamic uh, in in that specific area where Kada can do more below the rim type of things. Um, he's also a finisher, but I think Basti is strictly pretty much like a, a dunker at this point. Um, he has really good straight line speed, though, for a big. Um, gets out in transition uh, faster than a lot of opponents, I think, able to outrun bigs that are guarding him. Um, so in, in transition, it sort of, if that's the role he's going to be playing as a rim runner. I think it's, um, that's an important thing to kind of look at. Uh, and I think Bassey does do that well. Um, he's a really strong second jumper. So uh, that comes into play both with the rebounding and shot blocking for him. Um, he's able to, you know, fight for those rebounds that get tipped three, four times or whatever uh, and, and win them out. And also, um, if he if he blocks a shot like you were saying, he's able to kind of immediately get back up in the air with the um, whoever's shooting uh, and, and challenge a shot immediately after. So uh, those are some things I like from Bassey. Um, the other thing too I would say is he's as a lob threat is really interesting just because he has such a large um, catch radius. Uh, you can pretty much throw it like anywhere around the rim and he'll he'll be able to catch it and put it down. Um, so like I said, as a rim runner, I think he does possess he, he does possess above average skills um, in those areas that you want your rim runner to. So that's probably the reason I think I'm higher on Bassey than I am Kida. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so for me, these guys are pretty similar in how I value them, despite them being sort of different in projection. Um, I would say right now, Kada is the is the more athletic. Um, he he shows a little bit more movement ability uh, out in space. I think he runs the floor pretty well, um, and, and I think he could be a solid sort of you know projectable rim running big right. With uh, he has solid hands. He can catch lobs. A good a good feel for for timing blocks up. Um, but, but not a lot else coming to the table. Um, and and he, he is sort of he is sort of still a step slow processing. Um, he can sort of miss cutters and kind of let guys get driving lanes on him that he can't recover from. Um, and then and then Bassey, you know, is sort of more fundamentally sound, I would say, uh, especially that that shot does have some intrigue. Um, but I would say he's a he he he's solidly less athletic and especially laterally. I, I think in space he's someone who's gonna really struggle. Um and, and these are two type of 
two types of guys I, w- I would value the same. Um, I think they're both on similar levels as prospects as Sharp. Um, maybe, honestly, for me, even better than Sharp because I think they have a more clear role um, to being back, back, uh, good backup bigs, um, even if they also, you know, I, I think all these guys have, almost everyone we'll talk about today is going to have the floor of out of the league just because there are so many NBA centers. Um, there's, it, it's easily the most replaceable position in the league outside of the top, top guys. Um, and I think some people overthink that sometimes, you know, like, you know, why is Evan Mobley too? Well, you can be a transformative center, but where the replacement value of centers comes in is this sort of, you know, the 20th center to the to the 50th best center in the league. There, there's not like an absurd amount of separation there. And the 50th to the 80th best center in the world is similar. Or it's just, it's all sort of bunched up and it's just sort of, you know, filling team needs and maybe these guys crack a role, maybe they don't. You just never know. Um, so, so yeah, that's sort of how I see it with these two. It's just they're two bigs with, with, with some intrigue in terms of skill sets. Um, if, if they're good enough at those things, they, they sort of have a role in the league they can fill. Uh, if they're not, they don't. And that's just sort of how it goes. That's most bigs. Um, uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts on these guys? Um, yeah, I would say uh, a, just a couple quick or a quick note on Bassey. I think I, I failed to mention in the beginning was um, he, he still has some significant IQ issues um, where, I mean, it, it pretty much seems like he's allergic to passing at this point. Like he would rather just like take these pretty awful, like, weird shots that are not have a really low probability of going in uh, rather than pass out and I think that's maybe that's just because he's not a good passer and he knows that Uh, but at the same time he gets himself into positions where uh, he's trapped and sort of has to make these or shoot these weird shots and I think um, that plays into just an IQ thing that he needs to develop a bit more Um, and then with Keita I would I would actually push back a little bit. I think I see Bassey as a better athlete than Kata at this point. Um, Kata just moves really slowly to me. Um, I mean, like with a lot of these bigs we're going to talk about, they're, they're just really slow movers. Um, and I think Kata is sort of falls under that. Um, Kata does have nice touch around like, you know, maybe six to eight feet out just with those hook shots. Um, so that gives me a little bit of intrigue to maybe he can space his game out as a, like a mid-range jump shooter um, eventually. But yeah, both of these guys are, uh, I would not draft either of these guys at this point. Um, but th- that's going to be that case, I think, with a lot of guys we talk about here today. And there's so many of these guys, these bigs um, near the back end. We're only talking, I think, about like eight of them today or or maybe like six bigs are, that are at that back end. Um but there's we're leaving off like another six. So there's a ton of these back end bigs, and it just kind of um, plays into your case on how replaceable this archetype is. Because there's already a bunch of these guys in the NBA, um, and you're having you know 12, 13 of these guys sort of fighting for those spots in the NBA. And it's just a really easy thing to replace. Um, so I don't hold a ton of value in in drafting these guys. 
yeah, that's that's how I feel too. These aren't these yeah. the, neither of these guys are guys I would draft. Um, Davis, what do you think? Yeah, I mean they're in my like my sixties or late late fifties, um, but I don't know. That's just because I feel like I kind of like have to put big men like there. I don't know, but um, I mean. If if I were to draft them, it would be really late, like really really late second. And if it's a team, like like again like Brooklyn or or you know someone like that that needs some size and and defense, uh, but I would rather just get them as a as an undrafted guy and and see what see if they can prove themselves that way. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I would do as well. Um, and with that, we're gonna move on to. Um really interesting German prospect, um, Ariel Huck 40. I believe that's how you say that. Um, played this sort of big initiator role with his team uh, this year and just really interesting mover, some flashes of guard skills, some shooting flashes. It looked, it looked pretty bad. He, he was kind of thrown to the fire out there. But there were moments that that short that sort of uh, shine through. So, um, uh, Stone Stone, how do you feel about Ariel? Um, I, I agree. There's definitely intrigue there with him. I, out of the guys, the last few guys we've talked about, I would say like Huck Porty probably the most of out of these past few. Um, he's so he's able to cover ground pretty well on both ends, especially considering how big he is. Like this. I can't undersell how much of a behemoth he is. Like he's massive, um, but he's able to cover ground pretty quickly and pretty well, despite that, which is more than can be said for, especially the next guy we're going to be talking about. But um, he's, that that is interesting to me. He shows um, pretty nice touch too, uh, he, around the rim. Um, and there's glimpses, there's little flashes here and there of, him being able to stretch out to the three-point line. Um, it's probably, you know, a few years down the line if, if it's ever going to come to fruition. Um, but there's there's glimpses of it um, that I think are worth trying to develop with him. Um, he's a pretty good passer on the block as well, uh, where he's – I mean, I feel like I'm saying this all about a lot of the bigs too, but um, they are – outside of Bassey probably, but um, they're pretty good at, you know – being in the post, but seeing guys on the perimeter and making the right reads outside of double teams and things like that. Um, and I, I don't know how much you guys value this. I think I tend to value it a little bit more than other people. Uh, I like to watch interviews on guys. And I was watching Huck Porty, and he seems like a pretty high character guy. Um, I mean, obviously, I feel like a lot of these guys have, there's a certain level of character you almost have to have when going into the NBA. Um, and I don't really factor in a whole lot unless it's um, outlierishly good or bad. Uh, but for Huck Party, he seems like a really high character type of guy, um, which is something that I think I value maybe a little more than other people. Um, but that said, he's he's definitely more intriguing to me than the last few guys we've talked about. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of weirdness here. Um to, to be to be looked at um sort of played like um how i think a lot of people would have wanted kai jones to be played um 
I think that was mentioned by uh by Draft Pal on the on the Tricking Darts podcast where it's like just got a ton of usage. Uh was was just like had the ball in his hands a lot. Um just didn't quite look like he, he was a he was at that level as a decision maker to be um a lead initiator. Um really just sort of um was slow to see reads, slow to kind of get into his moves, but I think there was some to some stuff that that stood out to me watching his tape. I really, I really buy the movement skills uh, with Huck Forty. I, I could very easily see him switching on to the perimeter. Um, he he moves really well, uh, really comfortable. Um, you know, the rim protection is sort of still a question for me. Um, and it's just one of those, like, is there a team that's going to be able to fit this sort of weird center into the NBA? Or is he better off staying overseas where he can he, he can sort of continue down this path of uh, being a big initiator? Because it's hard in the NBA. He, this isn't going to be his role in the NBA. But I also would hate to see him pigeonholed into – you know, just a rim run or something when he's so much more. Um, Davis, do you have any Huck 40 thoughts? Um, I mean, I do need to watch more of him. I have seen a, a little bit. Um, I did see a lot of flashes on offense. Um, like like you were saying, he was asked to do a lot. Um, basically like a, a initiator, almost like a, like a guard for them, which – I don't think it was really his, his right role, but um, I think if he, if he plays like the big man role and still has those, the passing ability and, and offensive abilities that he showed, um, it, it would probably help him help him more, but uh, he, and defensive well, like you said, his movement, um, he's a good mover, a decent rim protector. I don't know if, if that would really translate as well, but um, it, it's more intriguing than, than the other the past two guys we talked about. And uh, I, I would probably draft uh, Huck 42 um, in, the, in the second round. Yeah, the, I, I will say out of all the guys we're talking about today, I admittedly, I've seen probably the least amount of Huck Porty out of anybody. I've seen maybe like a couple games from him. So I don't have a whole lot of uh, film to base my opinions on. Um, but he seems like th there's skills there that I would say are more intriguing than the other guys we've talked about. And maybe they don't get to the level um, that, that we hope. But he's still only – he, like, just recently turned 19. I think he's still very young. Um, he's someone that – he's raw, but I would, I would rather invest time into trying to develop Huck Porty than um, the past few guys that we've talked about, I think. Um, there, there's more to his game, I think. Um, there's more versatility to his game on both ends, I think, than, than a lot of these guys um, sort of in the back end of the second or – two-way guys um, as far as bigs go. So I would definitely probably prioritize Huck Porty over a lot of these fringe bigs. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. Just because I think there's more value in taking a shot on a guy who, who, who might not make it 
um, in the second round, but if he makes it, could be uh, a real value um, rather than taking a guy who is almost certainly just going to become a minimum contract, maybe at best, you know, sort of a five and a half bill a year backup center. Um, I know some people view the draft as it's an accomplishment just to draft an NBA player. Um, but for me, that's just not how I view it. And I'd rather take chances and try and get some guys like uh, that, that can really move the needle for you. Um, uh, and that brings us to another interesting really tall, really big guy, um, a lot slower than the other guys we've talked about. Um, and that is uh, college player of the year, uh, Iowa center, Luca Garza. Um, Garza is sort of this, you know, sort of traditional post-up big, a lot of cement in his feet, but shows some flashes as a shooter as well. Um, uh, Davis, how are you feeling about Luca Garza? Um, talk. I mean, I, I think Luca Garza is just one of those excellent college players, and that's probably it. Um, I think he, he's going to get a chance in the NBA, but I just think he's too slow and just way too much of a liability on defense um, to, to really get heavy minutes and and produce for, for a team in the NBA, but um, – He's really good on offense. I mean, he extended his range. I think he was like 40% from three this season. So his offensive game really isn't isn't to question. But um, even offensively, you worry about him running the floor just because his speed is not not fast at all. But um, I I wouldn't. He's not a, he's not a guy I would draft. But um, he's he's I. I don't know. I think he's all that he is like right now. I don't really see any, any uh, ceiling with him. Um, but offensively, he's probably the best, best big we talked about, like shooting, shooting wise, but uh, defensively, he's easily the worst. And I think it's just too bad to, to really give him a role. Yeah. I think um, Garza sort of represents that. Uh, like like guys we think are pretty unathletic in the NBA are way more athletic than this guy type thing. Um, like I've heard Ennis Cantor thrown around as a comparison for Luka Garza. Um, and I think there's issues with that beyond, but Cantor is, is, is a far superior athlete uh, to Luka Garza. And that's, that's sort of, I think, telling about the worries I have of Luka Garza. Um, he's not... He's a very polished, very intelligent offensive player. Um, but uh, he, he struggles with any sort of movement, and he doesn't have almost any vertical pop around the rim, and that also hurts him as a rebounder. It, it's just – it's hard for me to see him, like, really – playing too many minutes in the NBA because I think the athleticism is just going to be really overwhelming for him. And uh, that, that sort of was solidified for me as I went back and watched, watched some tape for this. I mean, Gonzaga was about the closest thing to it, to a NBA style offense in college basketball this year. And Gonzaga, I mean, 
I don't want to say embarrassed, but they made Luca Garza look really bad. Um, and, and, you know, it's not like Iowa had a ton of other defenders to sort of surround and help him out, but I just, I think he's just maybe too slow uh, to, to really play in the NBA. Um, I think there is a chance he gets drafted actually, because I think he'll be staff. If he gets drafted, he'll be stashed. He has a, I believe it's Georgian citizenship and he can go uh, play over there. And I think that's something we're going to see more and more is college players drafted and then staffed, just like uh, Justinian Jessup was from Boise State last year. Um, and there's going to be a lot of teams who want to take stashes because there's a lot of second round picks around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really buy Luke Garza as an NBA player. Uh, what, what do you think, Stone? Yeah, I th- Garza is difficult. He's, he's really, I mean, you would think he's straightforward, and I guess he is, but in another sense, he's difficult for him because he's so good offensively in college. Like, I get that, you know, like, we, there's sort of this thing with Marcus Howard, too, where he's so productive in college. And, um, well, okay, I'm going to go on a quick tangent here, too, also, um, so just bear with me. Like, I think a lot of people who would casually, quote-unquote, um, watch these guys and, and see like Luca Garza's numbers, it would be like, how is he not an NBA player, right? Like you see his college numbers, how is that not an NBA guy um, for people that more casually view it? And I think, I don't know where like on the internet this started, but people sort of started calling people casual, like as an insult, like you're such a casual, like, <laughs> and it's, it's sort of funny to me because you're just like pointing out the fact that okay they casually you're just pointing out a fact like they casually watch it like I don't really see how that's an insult but um and I think there's people out there like that if you try and sort of help explain it like if you feel like you have a pretty good understanding and, and knowledge of the draft and you try and help explain it to people there are some people out there that I think would benefit and listen in like see it from your point of view and be like oh okay that's why he's not an NBA player and sort of understand that and you can sort of use your knowledge to help um, enlighten other people where I think uh, a lot of people tend to be like oh he's just a casual not really give them any sort of time of day Um, so that's just my little tangent Uh, but getting back to Luca Garza um, (laughs) after that uh, he's really he's polished obviously um in the post he, he he's so huge like i talked about huck Porty, but man luca garza is like massive he is this man like he is a mountain of a man um and he uses it to his advantage a lot of times he's able to gain positioning both in rebounding and in the post um just by simply boxing guys out sealing them off um overpowering guys but in the NBA, NBA level centers are not college level centers, right? So how much can you get away with that? It, there's not even really usage anymore for guys that do that. Um, you're not going to really run an offense through a guy who just posts up every time down the floor. Um, that's just not how the game is played anymore. That what makes me really interested in him is the shooting. Um, out of Maybe anybody we talk about today, I mean, it's arguable, but um, 
he has really, really interesting. He's really interesting to me as a shooter. He shot 44% on three attempts this year, which as a big is not really anything to sniff at, right? Like that's pretty impressive. 44% in three attempts is, is decent volume for his size. So that is really interesting to me. It's been a mixed bag during his career at Iowa. The free throw percentage has gone way up, way down. It's been like a roller coaster. Um, so that's something to sort of keep an eye on. But he shows touch around the rim. Um, so I do buy the three-point shooting to an extent to where I think it's serviceable as a spot-up guy. Um, more so than a lot of the guys I think we're going to talk about today. So that would probably be my biggest interest. Uh in him but yeah defensively just he's gonna get cooked every time <laughs> actually in my notes i put here um anytime he's on the perimeter garza instantly becomes a entree dish of barbecue chicken because <laughs> there's there's absolutely no way you can get him like outside of two feet near the like anywhere past one foot of the paint the defender's gonna beat him to the rim every time like if he's not one foot away from the rim he's there's no way he can make up that ground in the right amount of time to contest a shot he's just so slow moving um that it's just not feasible so there's so many downfalls or downsides to him and from flaws um i just put those two words together i guess but he but there's he's so good as a college player it's kind of like how where do you value productivity in college and how it translates to the nba which what he does that made him so productive in college probably doesn't translate to the NBA um, apart from the three-point shooting. So the three-point shooting is really what is giving me any sort of intrigue to him um, as an NBA player. Again, he's not someone I would draft, but I would, I would take a hard look at him as a guy I would offer a two-way contract to. So for me with Garza, um, something I've really bought into in recent times is that um, to, to really provide spacing, you have to be a threat to move off. Like, like if someone closes out hard, you have to be able to attack that because like Brooke Lopez honestly doesn't really provide that much spacing because you don't have to close out hard on him. You can sort of just get a hand up and that's enough. You have to, be a good enough shooter with with enough sort of movement ability to be able to keep an advantage alive to really provide spacing. And I don't see that with Garza. So for me, I wouldn't draft Garza. I'd maybe give him a two-way, um, but honestly, probably not. I prefer to use my two-ways on wings. Um, it's nothing against Garza. It's just that he he's just not the type of player I value. And even if he carves out a role in the league, it's not the type of role I tend to value. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's entirely fair. Yeah. The archetype he has is not something that's valued anymore in the NBA. Um, and it's, we, we sort of had this discussion, I think too, with, with Sangoon where it's sort of unfortunate because these guys are very skilled at what they do. Um, they're, the very polished and the very skilled that's just unfortunately in today's game we've kind of gone away from the skills that they provide um so i don't think they're quite nearly as useful as they they once were yeah yeah um any, anything else we got to say on uh luca garza 
that's probably too much time on <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to someone potentially more interesting um, before we're going to end it with someone really interesting. Um, so the next guy we're going to hit on is Jay Huff out of Virginia. Um, Huff, another big guy, um, very tall. Uh, also, like Garza, provides some intrigue as a shooter. Um, and then also, if you sort of replace Garza's post game with some interesting rim protection, that would probably be the elevator pitch for Huff. Sort of, he kind of sort of feels that uh, what people used to call unicorns and now just means tall guy who shoots. Um, that's sort of what Huff represents. He's this tall guy who can kind of shoot, kind of protect the rim. Um, Stone, I'll throw it, I'll throw it back to you. Um, give me your uh, your Huff takes. Uh, so Jay Huff is basically like the like whatever like the 99 cent store is 99 cent store of version of miles turner um he's like the absolute like if you took miles turner like if you put everything he does and turn it down to like 10 times lesser of a degree that's jay huff for me um and i think he's i mean like you said the archetype he provides is interesting but I think with Huff it's more it's more an intriguing idea than it is reality for him for me at least um and what I mean by that is so you mentioned the three-point shooting and it is interesting right um Huff was able to able to get his shot off against contests and things like that which is something I look for in shooters as well um throughout his career at uh at Virginia he shot like a career 38 percent from three which is pretty interesting as a big man um uh, it's only on 1.6 attempts although this year he increased it to uh three attempts a year so that kind of bolstered it up a bit um but for me Huff just moves so slow uh, much like Garza right um like <laughs> if you had a foot race between Garza and Jay Huff you like two hours later you would be like okay I'm, I'm kind of bored of this it's like watching paint dry um they're so slow and they're such slow movers but with Huff it's interesting because he is more of a movement shooter than than Garza uh he's able to come off the screens and um plant himself and, and shoot um but you really have to put him in the right context for that to be valuable I think like you really have to have a hard screener is able to um, provide enough time for him to get around it and set himself up to shoot. Um, although when he gets the ball, his release is, is fairly quick. Um, but yeah, the, and then the shot blocking too, it, he times it really well. I think that's what makes up for his lack of athleticism probably um, where he's able to time it, but I'm not really sure if that's going to be as feasible in the NBA um, just because guys are so much quicker and faster and, and will be able to get around him where I'm not sure how much the timing is going to be as big a factor as it was for him in college. Um, so yeah, that, those are kind of my quick thoughts on Huff. There's the archetype is interesting, but the reality I think is a lot less interesting for him. Yeah. So, so my big question with Jay Huff, uh, and I'll, and I'll ask you this Davis, um, 
is Luke Cornett a good NBA player? Um, I wouldn't say so. Okay. Uh, so that's it. We're gonna move on to EJ Onu. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> that's sort of um how I feel with Jay. And even like Coronet is like seven two. He's like bigger than Huff. Huff is six eleven, I think. Um, Huff is really slow. I mean, Stone hit on it, but but he is absolute Swiss cheese uh, on the perimeter. Um, and. Like- Hit, hit between him and Garza <laughs> defending the perimeter, like who would you rather have? <laughs> I think I'm Huff probably... has longer arms, so I yeah. guess I would say Huff. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think I'd probably take Huff, but I mean you don't either way reality either way the, uh, that happening. The player is on for fifty. Yeah. I think I could beat Huff off the dribble. And I <laughs> dribble like Giannis and I have I have the burst of Jay Huff. I have the burst of Jay Huff, and I could beat Jay Huff on the dribble. I think. Um, I think Jay Huff would have trouble guarding Jay Huff driving yeah. into the perimeter. <laughs> um, yeah, you can tell we've been talking about bigs for an hour and fifteen minutes. If this is what we're talking about, now. Um, yeah. So that's like that's what I see with Huff. I just maybe maybe there's twenty minutes a game in the NBA for him if he's like a real forty percent shooter. And you can really just run like a super aggressive drop, um, but that's that's really it. I think uh, he he's even like too slow to be a good role man. Like even if he sets good screens, it's so easy to recover uh, to him as a roller. It it really sort of limits his value if he can only pop. Um, so so that's how I'll put it. I. I want to like Huff. I was interested in Huff because, uh, again, like when I had done my my uh, Virginia scouting for Trey Murphy the third, I saw the flash of them. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I watched just him possession by possession, and I'm like, there's there's not a lot there for me. Yeah, um, yeah. I think ahead. I think the other interesting thing for me with Huff is the finishing. Uh, he's a really unique finisher. Just that. The way he, he he contorts his body in weird ways, not like not even in like an athletic way in the air, like like a Jalen Johnson or something, where he's just like he does these weird like little half turns in the air, and I mean he does like a lot of the reverse things we've seen at Virginia for years now, but um he does like these weird little half turns, layups and dunks, and he he just finishes pretty craft in like crafty ways. Um, so that's the other little wrinkle to his game that I found interesting, but, um, yeah. And, and the other thing too, is like how much of a factor is the shot blocking defensively? Because like against guys, like bigger guys, like Embiid or Jokic, they're going to post him up every time and, and win. Um, cause he's just, I, I don't, he's just not strong enough. And I think they're offensively more skilled to where they can move around uh with their footwork and stuff and get shots off around him um and obviously we mentioned like the perimeter he's just going to get cooked every time so i'm not even really sure how he fits in defensively um i think it's sort of going to have to be the garza effect where you have to keep him really really close to the rim to be an effective shot blocker yeah Yeah, i agree with everything i think we we shit on jay huff enough (laughs) 
I will say I'll take him. I would take him over Luca Garza. I, I would take him over Luca Garza. Yeah, me too. I, me I would too. take Garza. I think I would. Uh, I, I think. I think I, think yeah. I like Huck as a rim protector a little better. Yeah, and I would say like I mean, I would probably just take Garza's post play, even though it's not really a thing in the NBA anymore. I'm just really. Uh, it just more speaks to how low I am and Huff, it, Huff's shot blocking translating. Yeah, I will say that if we were going to pick who's going to have the better basketball career, it might be Luca Garza. But um, as yeah. far as who I would rather have on my NBA team, it'd probably be Jay Huff. Um, but anyways, now we're going to move on uh, finally to the most interesting prospect uh, we have here today, and that's uh, EJ Onu. Um, D Stone is celebrating for everyone, everyone watching. So you know what, Stone, I will just throw it to you. You um so Emiliano Nair is the first person who brought him up. And I was um I was pretty interested. I watched them escape after that and I was like, okay. And then Stone convinced me, he's like, he's like, no, seriously, like go watch this guy. So I watched it deeper and uh I had some fun with it. So Stone, uh give us the EJ Onu spiel. <sighs> EJ Onu is good, and I think he should go in the first round. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. That he's um, man. So I don't even know where to start with him. Basically, he's a massive guy with a seven foot eight wingspan. Uh, I believe he's seven foot. Um, has a seven foot eight wingspan who blocks shots at an insane rate. Um, this might be debatable and and I'll probably get some pushback for this um, once this episode comes out, but I think Onu is probably the best shot blocker that we've talked about today, even over maybe an Isaiah Jackson because Onu's timing. So Oju or Oju, Onu can cover so much ground as a shot blocker because of that wingspan, like seven foot eight wingspan is ridiculous. And to be able to cover ground um, is, is insane. And there's, there's I watched so I watched a lot of games of him recently and there's games where he's um he's literally jumping to block a shot before the shooter can even release the ball like he sees the shot coming and before the shooter can even release the ball he's coming and and basically blocking the shot almost as it leaves the hands of, of the shooter um it's crazy um so I'm I'm really high on that translating. Um, the shooting is also like, you don't see guys doing what he does defensively like that, then shooting as an absolute sniper, 40% from three. Um, it's just ridiculous. Like the, the, the problem with Onu is he played at a really low level, right? Um, he's playing, I forget that. Do you happen to know the division? I forget what it's called. Um, uh no, off the like, top of my head, I probably should have wrote yeah. it down. It's like NAIA or something, like super low division. So that's why you're not hearing Onu's name um, a whole lot in conversations uh, amongst these uh, draft guys. But um, there comes a point where you have to just say, okay, he's playing at a really low level, but what he's doing is just, it's worth taking and drafting. Um, and so I think with Onu, like, that's worth, for me, the upside with him is worth taking, like, earlier in the second round for me at this point. 
um, there's just so much to like with that shot blocking and that three point shooting um, with where it, it's so hard to ignore. Um, the issue with Onu is uh, like every prospect, he's not perfect. Um, and he, he has concerns mobility wise, I think. Um, I mean, not to the extent of like a, a Jay Huff or, or Luca Garza or anything, but um, moving in space, I think is a little bit of an issue with him. Like whenever he moves, I feel like uh, I get worried, like his knees are going to snap. Like he, he moves like that. Um, but yeah, the, the archetype and what he does at a certain point, um, at the rate he does it, despite it being at a low level, at a certain point, you have to say, okay, this is worth drafting. And for me, that point is earlier in the second round. Yeah. Um, so for me with Onu, uh, yeah, there's just a lot to like there. Um, I have, so I wasn't on draft trader last year, but um, in, in my own, in my own draft world, I was eschewing uh, all talks of low competition levels. Um, I had, Alexei Pokusevsky, number two on my final board. Um, and I feel similar with Onu in that the talent he brings works irrespective of talent level. Um, it's going to take him some time to figure out the timing um, of blocks in the NBA. It's going to take him time. Um, he's, he's probably a couple years away from really benefiting a team that takes him. But, man, there's so much intrigue there. Uh, legit center size, um, but moves really well. Ex like really perfect timing on blocks, like almost Mobley-esque in terms of how he can just really high point a block off the backboard. Like really a float, like floaters, he's blocking floaters. He can block jump shots. I mean, really special stuff here. Um and I really, I really love the jumper too. It looks really good. He has a really good feel for it. He can hit it on trailers, on pick and pops. You know, probably not like a movement guy or anything, but he has that in him. Um, uh, so I really like Onu. Um, Davis, what do you think of EJ? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely got to watch more of EJ, but um, I just thought I had just – started watching him when when stone had brought him up um so i haven't seen much but like you guys are saying the um the 40 percent from three and his shooting form is actually nice the mechanics are really good um pretty quick release um but yeah his his shot blocking is is insane uh his timing and his his uh his just ability to close close out on uneven perimeter shots and, and blocking those is, is really intriguing, but um, I for sure need to, need to watch more of them. I did throw them um, at like 50 on my board for now, just cause I haven't seen enough, but there's enough to, to like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it would benefit him playing better competition. That's his only, that's his main question right now. Uh, but if he stays in the draft, I do think he'll get a shot, and like Bryce said, it'll, it'll take a little. But um, if he enters the transfer portal and goes to a, a bigger college, I think that'll benefit him as well. Yeah, so um, he's 
I have the uh, team. He played NA, IA, um, whatever division that is. I'm not sure if you guys have even heard yeah. of that division. But um, yeah, so he uh, for the Shawnee State Bears, they won the they actually won the national championship. Um, you see, his team teammates and coaches are really pulling for him too on Twitter. Uh, they're all really been supportive and positive about him, uh, speaking to his work ethic and character. Um, he, so he's 6'11", not quite seven foot, um, but it doesn't really make that much of a difference with him with that seven foot eight wingspan. Um, super, super bouncy, like really quick to it. But the bounciness and the, the seven foot eight wingspan make him like a really elite lob threat. Um, so the lob threat, the three-point shooting, the shot blocking, like all that, all the makings are there for like the, the unicorn type player that everybody covets. Um, so I'm really in on Onu. Uh, I'm not sure how how high you guys are on him. Um, I know Davis just said he's like around 50 or whatever on his board, I think. Um, but I'm uh, all in on his, his archetype and, and what he brings to the table. Um, it's just a question of, you know, what, uh, whether or not his, um, whether or not he can do it at the NBA level because he played at such a low level. Uh, he did mention though, um, that he got like seven or eight division one offers, um, throughout his time at, at Shawnee state. So there's teams out there that, that were trying to get him, um, but he was just committed to, to Shawnee at that point. So, um, there's definitely people that believe in him or believed in him as a D1 guy. Yeah. So for me, um, I have EJ Onu around 40, um, but my hottest take might be that uh, I have him above uh, Alperin Shingun, um, which uh, is probably going to get me killed by someone. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, a seven, eight wingspan too is like crazy. Yeah. that That is crazy. Like we talk about like, like, you know, seven three wingspans as pretty solid for centers, oh, or seven four. I mean, to be seven eight, that's when you're getting into like that, that Mo Bamba, um, uh, Rudy Gobert range where it's just like elite length. And with his timing, his ability to high point blocks, I mean, he could be a really special rim protector. And you know, you, you mentioned Jay Huff as like an absurdly poor man's, uh, Miles Turner, EJ Onu could be just miles turner i mean that like they're very different and i don't i don't like comparisons but in terms of like filling that archetype he could be a legit uh shooting rim protecting big man um and that's something that's that's worth a look um even though you know it's going to take a little bit for him to adjust to uh nba athleticism yeah uh i'm really excited about you i can't uh, I hope I've conveyed that on this podcast because I can't undersell it enough. Um, he's someone I'm I'm really pulling for and rooting for, uh, and I think it's definitely worth um, worth a team drafting. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure he does get drafted. Um, at the very least, I think he'll get a two way contract. Uh, but there's a there's a chance I think he goes um, in the forty to sixty range come draft night. Yeah, I uh, th- that's how I that's how I view this as well. Um, yeah, so a team like Charlotte needs to take him. <laughs> yeah, that would be for, fun. If you're if you're Charlotte, why wouldn't you take him? Like, just swing for the fences, buy a second round pick if you can, uh, and just bring him in. Like, 
I mean, his competition is Nick Richards, so you might as well swing for the fences if you're Charlotte. And Vernon Carey. <laughs> yeah, Vernon Carey. So, I mean, I like that's a really good example. I would absolutely just swing for the fences if you're Charlotte. Him and Lamella Ball could be uh could oh be very gosh. very be fun. so fun. So fun. Um so with that being said, uh before we get out of here, um let's rank these guys uh how you have them on your board. Um Stone, do you want to go first? Uh yeah, so I would say, I mean, this is probably the case for all three of us. I have Isaiah Jackson number one, uh, in the number one tier for me as well. Uh, I have Onu in my second tier, um, by himself as well. Uh, nobody else in that tier. Uh, then it gets pretty difficult. Um, I would say Huck Porty is also in a tier on his own, although it's like a, a Big, there's a big gap between Onu and Huck Porty for me. Um, and then after Huck Porty, the rest of the guys, Jay Huff, Bassey, Keita, and, and Garza are all in a tier together. Uh, and the way I would rank them is I'd probably have uh, Bassey first, uh, Garza second, Keita, or, or actually Huff third, and then Keita fourth um, within that tier. But I, I wouldn't be too hard pressed if you took any one above the other. Yeah. 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 Uh, Davis, do you want to give yours? Yeah, so I have Isaiah Jackson, of course, one. He's in the 30s. Uh, oh, I, followed by... I forgot, sorry, I forgot Daron Sharp. I would put him in the same tier as Huck 40. I forgot. Oh, bad. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, yeah, and then Daron Sharp is in my 40, so it'd be the top two. And then um, after that, it's kind of all like pretty close, but Huck Porty is the next. And then uh, Onu, Bassi, uh, Kida, Garza, and Huff. All right. That's, uh, that's, that's a solid ranking there. So I'm going to go uh, Jackson is number one, but I would actually have Onu probably in the same tier. Uh, that That's sort of tough with those two. Um and then after that, I'm, I would have uh, Huck Porty, Bassey, Kata, and Huff all in a tier. And then below them, Sharp in a tier. And then below Sharp, um, Garza in a tier. Um, uh, maybe I'd, put, I'd drop Huff to the Sharp tier, actually. That would make more sense. I think that's how I actually have it on my board. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, – not one of these guys do I have ranked in the first round right now. Um, so uh, we hope we hope this was fun, even though we were talking about some some sort of fringier guys. Um, we sure had some fun. Uh, Davis, you want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, all mock drafts, big boards, at Sports by Davis. And uh, make sure you follow Upside Swings as well, that Upside Swings on twitter uh yeah and then you could find me at report underscore court on twitter on my big boards i post my mock drafts that they do for lines.com on there um everything like that uh and then also if you guys have any feedback or questions feel free to email them uh at upside swings at gmail.com or upside swings at gmail.com or you can dm dm us on twitter as well yeah and uh i'm at bryce hendrick 14 on twitter um this has been oh, the upside swings Go ahead. <laughs> One final thing. Uh, 
keep an eye out too. We are on the uh, halftime app now um, where we're giving our live shows once a week. Um, we'll put those out on Twitter too and you guys can follow. Um, it's kind of more of a mailbag also. Uh, so you guys have any questions, you can uh, put those in too. Yeah, absolutely. Those are super fun. Um, and we also, we're probably gonna do a live show for the lottery and for the draft itself when it comes around. Um, so keep an eye out for those if you want to uh, be a part of that for uh, as we're doing that. You can even come speak with us some more to locker room. Great app, uh, great app there. Um, yeah. And if you, um, <laughs> one final thing, I know we got to get out of here. If you uh, have listened to our Vrenz interview and you liked what you heard, we're selling Vrenz t-shirts actually. Um, Vrenz gave his okay with it. Uh, no profits are going to be made off of his name. Um, so if you like Vrenz as much as we do, uh, make sure you pick up a Vrenz t-shirt. You can uh, just look up my Twitter and I'll have the link there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of stuff going on. It's exciting. It's exciting. Uh, so much that I, your uh, humble host, need Stone to keep it all on track for me. Uh, he's really the brains of the operation. Um, this has been the Upside Swings Draft Podcast. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we hope we had our ceiling. Thank you.